This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we take a look at Israel's first two kings and try to see what the text is showing us in these two characters. Yeah. Hope everybody's summer's going okay. Uh, in light of the fact we're doing every other week, we should probably go back and review a little bit. We should. And uh, just remind ourselves of where we've been. I don't even remember where we've been. <laughs> it's been that good of a summer. Whew. So we are, um, let's see, we, we, we walked all through... Torah in session one, um, talked about this partner that God is created in, in Genesis. We had a preface and God tried to, to reorient the way we saw the world. It's a good world. It's a good creation. He's for it. He's inviting us to trust, but we have such a hard time trusting that he's for us and not living in fear. But then we meet the, the family of God and what we called the introduction. Genesis 12 through 50, the whole rest of the book. And this family showed us through lots of dysfunction and lots of struggle. They showed us um, what it means to trust the story, uh, sometimes not trusting the story, but they always seemed to manage to lean back in. In fact, towards the end there, it even took them a couple generations, but they figured out how to lean back in towards the story. Uh, I mean, forgiveness was the capstone of the book of Genesis. And there's nothing that I think is more rooted in trusting the story than the act of forgiveness. You have to believe that God is for you. You have to believe that God is for others. You have to believe that God is putting the world back together and it's okay to let something that was truly wrong go. And uh, so that's what we saw in the book of Genesis. And then the narrative begins, this tale of two kingdoms uh, begins in the story of the Exodus. And God rescues his partner, takes them to Mount Sinai, marries them. They enter into this like marital uh, relationship um, where he tells them that he wants them to be a kingdom of priests. And he defines what that priesthood is going to look like in the book of Leviticus. And they get to be uh, tested like this relationship, this new covenant relationship as a kingdom of priest is going to be put to the test in the book of Numbers. Uh, then they're called to remember where they came from uh, in the book of Deuteronomy. And, and and God calls them back and says, don't ever forget, don't forget, don't forget. Remember, remember, remember where you've come from. And th- that was Torah. And then from there, we just kept moving. We talked about uh, conquest and we talked about the book of Joshua and what God was really ultimately trying to do is he's still trying to accomplish that same mission that he gave to Avram all the way back in Genesis 12 when God said, what to Avram, Brent? He said, I will bless all nations through you. That's right. There's this mission that's been there from the very beginning. And if God's going to bless all nations, he can't put his people over in the corner. And so we we called this section of ground, what do we call it, Brent? The, the crossroads of the earth. That's right. So God takes them and he puts them right smack dab in the crossroads of civilization where they're going to be able to to speak to and to model and to be a kingdom of priests, just like the just like the tabernacle sat in the middle of camp, so God's people are going to sit in the middle of civilization, and and be and be poised and ready to bless all nations. That's why God's given them this chunk of dirt, and and from there we went to the book of Judges and we looked at uh, the cycle that everybody likes to call a sin cycle. But I propose that we call it what, Brent? A redemption cycle. Redemption cycle. Why does it always have to be so negative? Why do we always have to focus on our sin? Uh, Why does everything have to be so depraved? Why can't it be about God's goodness and his patience and his faithfulness? And in light of that, we even looked at the book of Ruth. We kind of zoomed in on this unique book of the story of Ruth and Boaz. and, And we saw that even in the midst of this incredible mess that you encounter in the book of Judges, 
Uh, there are people that are trying to walk faithfully. There are people that aren't cutting the corners of their field. There are people that are doing the things that God asks them to do. There is a there is a, a faithful and righteous Israelite who is marrying a Moabitess because it's the right thing to do. And from her line, from his line, is going to come all of this kingdom. Um, but it's a tumultuous time, as we looked at. Uh, it is a time where this cycle, this redemption cycle, just keeps rolling over and over. And that's what we're going to pick up here, um, because I'm going to actually dip back into the book of Judges to start our conversation as we head into 1 Samuel uh, today. Because one of the things I said in the last podcast, two podcasts ago, excuse me, when we talk about the book of Judges, as I said that God has endless patience for you as you try to figure out what it means to walk the path. And I said it over and over and over again because I truly believe it. God has endless, bottomless patience, bottomless. And I really truly believe that one of the things we see in the book of Judges is if you're trying to figure it out, and whether it's because of ignorance or because of, I mean, there's all kinds of things that it could, all kinds of reasons why, uh, we could be in the midst of struggle. But if you're trying to figure it out, God has endless patience for you. But then at the end of the book of Judges, something significant seems to change. It's not just one more story. It's a story that kind of spans two to three chapters, and it's pretty disturbing. There's a story of this Levite who is on his way uh, through the tribe and territory of Benjamin. And he needs a place to stay. And so he goes to, he wants to stay the night in, in the tribe of Benjamin. And his, his servant says, we can't do that. We ought to go stay over here in this Gentile city. And the Levite's like, no, that's ridiculous. Why would the Gentiles be, I'm paraphrasing, but why would the Gentiles be more hospitable than God's people? That's not how the world's supposed to be. No, 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 no. We're going to go stay in the tribe of Benjamin. So he goes there, he and his concubine and uh, the people of the city come and they demand to, to have their way. Um, with the Levitical guest and, and the host that he's staying with tries to, just like we've seen before in very typical Eastern fashion, tries to, to save his guests, tries to show the ultimate hospitality by protecting his guests. But ultimately what they end up doing is they distract the crowds by, uh, by giving the concubine, uh, to the crowd to be, uh, raped and abused and eventually killed, uh, all night long. Uh, and she is found dead on the doorstep the next morning. It's a credibly ugly story, but one of the things that happens is you end up hearing that story. What do you think of when you hear that story, Brent? Anything? Uh, well, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's it's like I've heard this story before, like all the details. I remember when I was like just becoming more and more familiar with the Old Testament as I studied the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, when I, when I would hear these stories, I would have to go back and make sure they weren't the same story. Like I'd actually have to flip back and be like, yeah, okay, that story's there and this story's here because they are so similar. And in some respects, this is, the author of Judges uh, is trying to say, this is how bad we aren't just dealing anymore. At the end of the book of Judges, it's not just the same cycle. At the end of the book of Judges, we have now devolved into what I like to call the anti-story. Uh, this huge momentum shift in the story where we aren't just dealing with a people struggling with how to follow God. Uh, We're now seeing the people of God become so bad that they mirror the horrible acts of Sodom, acts that caused God to come down and rescue the oppressed. This is now being done uh, at the hands of God's people. Um, They have become what I'm going to call the anti-story. They're losing the plot. 
they're no longer a kingdom of priests. They're no longer doing the things uh, that God's called them to do. And they're now, they're not just struggling to walk the path. They're now working against the narrative of God. So if God's called them to bless all nations, this is no longer just a story of people that are trying to figure out what it means to bless all nations and making mistakes along the way. This is now a group of people that are oppressing the nations. They're oppressing their own nation. Uh, we've just reached a whole new level in the story. And, and so from there, we kind of roll into 1 Samuel. And everything kind of ends up following this um, uh, interesting turn in the story. First uh, Samuel begins with the story of Eli and his sons. He is this priestly family. His sons do not act like the kind of priests we would want them to, uh, to act like. We're told that they're doing two things. They're sleeping with women at the gate, which should actually be an indication. Um, women at the gate of the tabernacle, that would, you would expect that phrase to be used for what, Brent? A shrine prostitute. Right. So there's lots of evidence we have uh, historically to suggest that there was a major blending of Baal, Asherah, Phoenician, all kinds of worship uh, of of the Canaanites and the people of Israel, and, and so it seems here to be some evidence in the text. We have a we have a blending of some interesting idolatry and immorality here, and, and then they're they're not just doing that, but they're also stealing meat. In one story, um, they're they're trying to boil the fat off of the meat. Why are they doing that, Brent? I don't know. They're they're boiling the meat off because God said in Torah something about fat. Can you remember? Oh, to render the fat portions yes. as a sacrifice. Absolutely. The, the fat is God's. God said you may not eat any of the fat. And so the, people are trying to honor that by boiling the fat off the meat. And Eli's sons are coming along and they're taking meat that's not only been, it should be set apart for people that are in need or people that are in the middle of, of worship or people that need to have their atonement navigated but they're they're not only stealing from them they're they're actually stealing portions that are god's portions so this this is not good and and kind of out of this story this whole momentum shift that we're sensing uh the people come and they begin asking for a king now when i learned this in in like sunday school and stuff i, I was always taught you know israel wasn't supposed to have a king which isn't necessarily true because god talked to them about a king in the torah in the book of Deuteronomy. And you have that passage. Do you not Deuteronomy 17? Uh, yeah. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. Okay, so God tells them in Deuteronomy depending on how you date that book, you know, he tells them before this account that they're going to, they're going to want a king. And God says, when, when you get to that place, when you want a king, make sure that you take the king that I choose. So the request that, by the way, that reference that you just read came from Deuteronomy 17 verses 14 through 15 for anybody taking notes, Deuteronomy 17, 14 and 15. Um, it's not the request for the king that God finds to be a problem. But I'll read you what they say in 1 Samuel 8. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old. Always a great way to start a conversation. (laughs) Uh, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to... There's those sons. 
So now that people are using the disobedience of Eli's sons as leverage for this conversation, they're saying, listen, you can't lead us. Your sons are jerks. Appoint a king over us. And here's the line, such as all the other nations have. And then Samuel tries to plead with them. Samuel tries to plead with them and say, uh, you don't, you don't want this. You, you want something else. This is not what you want. But they say, verses later, they say this, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us and we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. There's that line again. We will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. And Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. Um, I remember uh, one of our students from a past Bema years ago, Reed Hazelbaker, uh, he he pointed out, it's not even that they're saying we want to be like all the other nations. They also say, we want a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now, up to this point, who have they been told numerous times goes before them to fight their battles? The Lord. The Lord. And now and now, that's not good enough for them anymore. Now they want this king. Everything is shifting. It's not the king that ends up becoming the problem. The problem is that they, they've lost the plot to be different. Like God wanted them to be a kingdom of priests. And what was one of the roles of kingdom of priests, Brent? To put your God on display. Absolutely. So that's like, as they're going into battle, they have the banner of the Lord, essentially. Absolutely. And everything about them is different. It causes the world to go, what's what's different about your God? And they've lost the plot of the story. They want to be like everybody else. But that's not why God's put them at the crossroads of the earth. And so this becomes a problem. And so um, it comes time for Samuel to follow through. And I think I said Eli's sons earlier in the podcast. I didn't mean to do that if I did. Samuel's sons that are the problem, not Eli's sons, Samuel's sons. I think you did say Eli. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I'm crazy. Um, I was, I was distracted. The, the, uh, I, I should just ask this because I'm not going to be able to get it out of my mind apparently. Uh, so the, the fat, is that how they separate the fat is always with boiling? I don't believe so, but at this point in history, it seems like that's what they're up to. At least when you're I've, reading the text, it I appears. I have always imagined that they just cut cut it off. Yeah, which is, I think, typically what happens, but I don't know if the temple writes, I don't know if they always did that, or at this point in history, that's what they were doing. Hmm. Um, but I have no idea, but it seems that that's what they're, that's our best guess of what they're trying to do when they are boiling the meat. And they seem to, they, they seem to object and say, the meat's not boiled yet, like it's not ready. Like, don't stick your fork in there yet because it's not, you know, we're not done giving to God his portion. Uh, seems to be what's going on there. but Maybe there one some... of our intrepid listeners will have done some more study in this and can let us know. I love that. Sounds like a job for Christy. <laughs> I didn't want to call her out specifically, <laughs> but she uh, seems like the most likely candidate. <laughs> <laughs> she hates it when I do that. I should stop. Uh, nevertheless, so, so Samuel now has to go out and anoint this king. And so God picks this king for them and he picks Saul. Now, the interesting thing about Saul, uh, God goes to give them the kind of king they want. Um, not without trying to give them a message at the same time. Like God chooses a man who is good looking. He's a head and shoulders taller than the average man. Saul is the man, Shaul is what we say in the Hebrew. Shaul is the man who looks impressive to the eye. Um, by the way, does that remind you of a particular desert tree? Something that looks... Uh, the uh, What is that one called? The hang on, hang on. Oh, yes. Okay. 
the Arar bush, something that looks really impressive. You remember Jeremiah saying, blessed is him that trusts in man's strength, uh, like, a, like a bush, like an Arar in the desert. But nevertheless, I digress. Um, Saul, Saul is this guy. He appears to be mighty. He appears to be good looking. He appears to be attractive. He's everything that people want. But what's interesting is if you read this story, not just like a Westerner, but like an Easterner, uh, you catch all kinds of other things in the, in the context. Can you remember what Saul is doing when we meet Saul for the first time, Brent? Uh, he's tending some animals, right? Yeah. He's, he's chasing some lost donkeys, um, which is which is in itself a joke anyway. Like how bad of a how bad of a donkey herder do you have to be to lose donkeys? And I know that donkeys are stubborn and stiff-necked, but they're not exactly known for running off and getting lost. Like you have to be a pretty bad donkey herder to lose donkeys. So here's Saul looking for donkeys. Can't even find the donkeys. He eventually just kind of goes, well, I'm going to go talk to the prophet to figure out where the donkeys are at. And this is the guy that God chooses, um, which is a, a direct affront it is a message from the Lord within a metaphor, if you will allow me to say that. Because what kind of person is Israel need to have for a king, Brent? We learned this all in the desert. They need a donkey herder. They need a they need a what? Oh, a shepherd. A shepherd. Not a right? donkey herder. They sorry. don't need a donkey herder. They need a shepherd because Israel is supposed to be it's supposed to be sheep. It's supposed to be sheep. So they're acting like donkeys. Exactly. That's the message, right? So so God ends up giving them a donkey herder and ends up saying you're supposed to have a shepherd because you're supposed to be sheep, but I'm giving you a donkey herder. And the absolute, without a doubt, an Easterner hears God saying, because you're acting like a bunch of jackasses. Like, that's that's what this amounts to. Um, so this is who Saul is. And, and the other piece that we often miss is he's not even, it's not even that he's a donkey herder, but what tribe is he from? Uh, is he Benjamin? Yes. Yeah. And it... Did we start this podcast talking about Benjamin? We did. Uh, like the stench of that story is still present in the nostrils of Israel. Like God chooses a king who's a donkey herder from the most despised tribe at this point in their history uh, to be their king and their ruler. That There's all kinds of subliminal messages that God's sending here. Uh, God does not give them a shepherd as a king. Uh, he He's definitely not going to be a shepherd. He's definitely not going to be a leader. He's definitely not going to be a priest. He is most certainly going to be a donkey herder. Now, juxtaposed to that, after Saul's, uh, or should we say during, very, very much during Saul's reign, he's going to experience God's rejection, and God is going to send Samuel to go anoint the next king, who's going to be who? David. Now, Juxtapose these two stories. Here is Shaul, head and shoulders, handsome, good, uh, uh, impressive, mighty, the kind of king that looks like you'd want to follow him in battle, an Arar bush, donkey herder, tribe of Benjamin, got some things that aren't working for him. But then you have uh, David. Can you remember the story of Samuel going to find David and he goes to Jesse's house? And how many brothers does he find? Oh, what is it? Seven, eight. Yep, seven brothers. Uh, David is the eighth brother, right? And what is David out doing? He's uh, taking care of the sheep. Taking care of sheep because he's the youngest. He's the runt. He's probably out with his older sisters, like taking care of. He he's is very, the, very young. Very time. young. Uh, I would assume eight years old, give or take, is my assumption. Uh, personal assumption. Um, 
He is the run of the litter. Like Samma comes looking for a king. Jesse's like, okay, I'll, I'll get all my sons in here. The, the last son I'm bringing in here is my my last born, David. Like I'm not bringing David in here. Like he's young, smells like sheep poo. He's been out with the sheep all day with his sisters. Kind of quirky. Brothers don't like him. Definitely not bringing him in here. And Samuel goes down the line kind of like Cinderella. No. Yes. Cinderella. Snow White. I don't even know. The thing about the glass slipper. You know that thing? Yeah, that's Cinderella. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, yeah, so so it goes down the line. The slipper doesn't fit on any of the brothers. He's just like, man, God has not given me the tap on any of these. Is this the, all, are they all the sons? I got one more. He's out herding the sheep, but you don't want him. I, I think I need to see him. And this is the one that God chooses. Like, God purposely juxtaposes Shaul, donkey herder from the tribe of Benjamin, with David, last born of Jesse, last born of eight brothers, uh, shepherd from the tribe of Judah. Uh, we can go all the way back to the story of Joseph, by the way. So many fun connections. We should talk about that in discussion group when we get together next. Um, but this juxtaposition, and, and why does God do this? Uh, obviously, God wants to make a point with Shaul, but why does God routinely, time after time after time, all throughout Torah, all throughout the stories that we've been encountering, God chooses the one on the bottom. God chooses the one who's not supposed to be on top. God chooses the least. I can hear so many things that Jesus is going to teach echoing in the background of all of this. But why does God do that? Um, just a few observations to close here. Uh, first, I think God does this so that we and the world would never be confused as to whose strength it is on display. Like imagine if Shaul would have been awesome. Everybody would have been like, well, of course. He's brilliant. He's tall. He's mighty. He's strong. But when David becomes the guy, everybody knows where to look. They know to look towards. It's obviously God's strength. I think of Deuteronomy in chapter 8. You're going to think it's the strength of my hands. But remember, it's the Lord your God who gives you the strength to produce wealth. This is what God's able to do when he picks the people from the bottom and not the people from the top. There's no way we're going to be confused as to where this blessing comes from. Uh, secondly, I think people are chosen from the bottom uh, of the heap because they remember their story better. The whole theme of the book of Deuteronomy was what, Brent? To remember. you got to remember where you came from. And it's a whole lot easier for people to remember where they came from when they came from the bottom. I think people like David are in a much better place to remember what it's like to be the last born of eight sons, to remember what it's like to be the shepherd uh, of a flock of sheep, to remember uh, some of these leadership lessons. And there's going to be quite, uh, we'll do this next podcast, but there's going to be quite a bit of that all throughout the life uh, of David. One of my favorite books, um, I read it in college, can't even remember the author right now, uh, but The Tale of Three Kings, small little read, but it was all about Shaul and David and the kind of people that they were and just so good for much of his life. We'll cover this later. There's going to come a time when it's going to change, but for much of his life, David is going to remember his story time and time and time again. Uh, and so we're just going to see that dance back and forth in the lives of Saul and David. Um, and this ends up being the difference. Uh, one of the phrases that we might use for David is going to be the phrase, I picked this up from Aaron, Kedush Hashem, to hallow the name, to glorify the name, to holy the name. Uh, throughout David's life, David is going to continually show that he's here to Kedush Hashem. He wants to hallow God's name. He wants to be about God's project. He wants to do it God's way. 
Shaul is a guy who wants to hallow his name. He wants to build up his reputation. He wants to do it his way, and he wants to be about his project. Uh, and this is just what God does all throughout history. God chooses Jacob. He doesn't choose Esau. Um, Jacob is even going to cross his hands when he blesses Manasseh and Ephraim. Uh, God will rescue Israel from Egypt, the last of the great nations of the earth. He doesn't rescue in Egypt. He rescues uh, a bunch of slaves from the strongest empire in Egypt. Um, God chooses the runt of the litter, the little shepherd boy, the last of eight brothers, because he uh, is going to be willing to kadush Hashem. Uh, and that's some of the juxtaposition we're going to see there in the life of Shaul and David. Sounds pretty good. A lot of little stories we're not catching here. Obviously, we're like, are you going to do, did we just cover all of 1 Samuel? Uh, kind of. Um, we'll do a couple more conversations. Um, but we're not going to dive into a lot of those stories. But come with your questions to discussion group to talk about those. Uh, I'm going to do that because I'm more interested in giving you tools. If I can give you the tools to read the Bible, you can study the Bible for yourself. My goal is to not dig into every single verse and give you the answer to every single story because, frankly, I'm not that good, and, and that's not what this thing is about, and it would take us years upon years upon years to do that. So we have to start moving a little quicker, and I want to give you some of the tools. If you know that when you're looking at the life of Saul, you're looking at a donkey herder, king number one, and when you're looking at David, you're looking at, at a shepherd. If you're looking at Saul, you're looking at, a, at, at Benjamin, you're looking at David, you're looking at Judah. Just some of these initial tools are going to help you read the story of 1 Samuel. Uh, better than maybe you were able to read it before. That's our goal. All right. So speaking of those small stories, can we yeah. just go back one more time to the wicked sons? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you say, you said they were Eli first, right? And then you said they were Samuel's sons? Yeah, they're Samuel's sons. Aren't they Eli's sons? Well, I'm thinking I might be mixing two stories together now that <laughs> I've started thinking about it, which I think is why I said one and then not the other. Well, what we were talking about with the with the uh, fat and and cooking the meat and whatever, Correct. that was Eli's sons, right? I believe they're the ones that are sleeping with women at the gate. You should do a quick oh, Bible oh, search. Oh, the two stories. Yeah, and then I think the ones that are pulling the the meat out, that might be Samuel's sons with the meat fork. Uh, oh, here, here we are. Eli, very old, blah, 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 everything. Sons, how they slept with the women who served at the entrance. Um, let's see here. Let the fat be burned. No, hand it over. I'll take it. Oh, this looks like a silly Eli's yeah, sons. Yeah, all of that is Eli. Okay, so I had it right the first time. First Samuel 2. Yes, but Samuel's sons also were not, uh, you can see that when they come to him, and they're like, well, your sons are wicked. Like, we can't. Samuel was not known for having great sons either. Samuel is the adopted. It's like it's kind of like same the adopted story? son. He was the servant of Eli. Is it the same story almost? Yeah, kind of. Well, And, and when it was taught to me, um, I can't remember if it was a Bible college or not, but I remember people talking about the need as pastors, we need to take care of our families because one of the things that we saw was Eli seemed to be a, a decent guy. Um, eh, kind of, we don't really know. It depends on how you read the story, but his sons are wicked. But Samuel is a good guy, obviously. But because he was raised in Eli's home as his kind of servant, adopted son-like, uh, he seems to pick up from Eli some of his bad practices. And then that lives on in his family as well. Um, and so I remember, I think it was in Bible college, one of our teachers saying, this shows you the need to take care of your home life well, because who knows how far that gets passed on to your disciples and people after you. 
so it's a good question. And I'm glad we clarified all that because I was right and then I was wrong and then I was right and I was kind of half right and half wrong the whole time. That'll save us some feedback anyway. Yeah, I'll so, like that. But yeah, dig into those other stories in discussion groups. Uh, we've had a few extra discussion groups pop up on the map. Uh, so check that out. There's always there's always new ones uh, showing up there. BaymontDiscipleship.com will give you everything you need to know. Get a hold of Marty on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. And uh, thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah.